You are listening to audio from Creekside Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside, find out about our services and upcoming events, or listen to other sermons, please visit creeksidecommunity.org. All right, well, good morning, Creekside family. Good to see you. We made the bumper extra long because you're so friendly. Just wanted to give you enough time. Good to see you. If this is your first time here, welcome. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here. So grateful that you'd come and worship with us today. Uh, Just one other quick reminder before we go to God's word. As we announced last week, we're in the middle of a potential pastoral succession plan. Our next one is is Kyle Driggers is candidating to phase in as our pastor of discipleship. And as we said last week, there will be a Q&A with Kyle, with me, some of our elders, and it's happening right after second service today. So come back here after second service, come in here. We'll have a time sharing a little bit about how God has led us in this process. You can get to know Kyle a little bit better and hopefully we can answer every conceivable question you might have. And uh, yeah, see how the Spirit is leading us together. Well, let's go to God's word. Uh, And before we do that, let's go to him in prayer. Let's ask for his help. And Lord, we do ask for your help because we need you. Um, Think of the hymn, I need thee every hour in joy and pain. And I, I pray we'd see our great need for you, not just in our times of poverty, but in our times of prosperity. God. Lord, would we see that we need you all the time, that that it is impossible, Lord, to thrive independently of you. And and Lord, would you wean us off our reliance on anything but you. Uh, Jesus, increase our faith. Teach us from your word now. I pray it for your sake. Amen. So many of you know we've got a newborn son. Many of you know that newborns enjoy staying up late. Uh, So I've been up late with Nate. We've had a lot of quality time together. (laughs) I've had a lot of quality time with Netflix. Nateflix, as I like to call it. So so we've had Nateflix time, but I ran into a problem a few weeks ago. I ran out of sports documentaries (laughs) to watch. And so I thought, okay, it's time for a new documentary. And I was thinking about it, okay, I'm almost 40. I need to watch something on health. So picked a health documentary and started watching Blue Zones. Maybe you've seen it. It's a brand new documentary. And it's all about longevity. Blue Zones are these regions of the world where people on average live a very long time. Where the, the lifespan is long, where the health span is long, and where people into their 90s, even into their 100s, live very vibrant and active lives. And so the documentary profiles these blue zones and asks the question, right, what makes these places special? What are the secrets? And the secrets aren't surprising. Don't eat junk, eat real food, don't sit around, be active, don't be isolated, live in community, have faith, have some greater transcendent purpose in life. None of this is too surprising. But here's what did surprise me. Many of these regions aren't particularly wealthy or prosperous places. Nor do people enjoy many of our comforts and conveniences. In fact, because they don't have our comforts and conveniences, they actually live longer. So so for instance, in Okinawa, a lot of people don't own furniture, which means where do they sit? On the floor. 
which means 30 times a day you're sitting on the floor getting up, which means your lower extremities are really strong and they are laid into life. On the island of Sardinia, people live on hillsides and they're steep and they found the steeper the hillsides and the more stairs you had to walk every day, the longer you lived. In, in Costa Rica, there, there's not as much infrastructure on the Nicoya Peninsula. You can't drive everywhere, so you have to, what, walk everywhere, and you're constantly moving. And in almost all of these places, there's not cheap, fast, convenient food, so you have to work to make your food and eat real food, and all of that tends to help people live longer. Now, here's what else interested me. As these places have become more prosperous meaning as they have gotten more of our comforts and our conveniences. Lifespan has not gone up. It's going down now. Which is interesting because what's the takeaway? That, That up to a point, material prosperity can help you immensely. But at some point, comfort and convenience doesn't help you. It actually nudges you in a bad direction. It actually hurts you. And prosperity nudges you towards self-destruction. And it got me thinking about the reality that the exact same thing is true of our spiritual health. Material prosperity can be a wonderful blessing from God. And it can also be a nudge towards spiritual ruin. Let's go back to Proverbs 30, which we looked at last week. Remember this prayer? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. God, don't make my life too hard that I walk away from you. Don't make my life too easy that I deny you. In other words, there's temptations for poverty, There's temptations within prosperity. Either one can draw you away from God, which means you have to learn to remember God both when life is really hard and when life is really easy. That's Moses' point in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8 is Moses' exhortation for Israel to remember God once they're in the land. First half of the chapter, remember what God did for you in the wilderness. That's what we looked at last week. When times were hard, what was God doing? What do we need to remember? That's the first half of chapter eight. Now we get to the second half of chapter eight and Moses looks forward to when Israel will be in the land and he says, don't forget God when times are easy. Israel's time in the desert has come to an end. They are about to enter an oasis. Remember this description last week? How does Moses describe the land? It's a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, olive trees, honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity. That's an amazing thing in the ancient world. In which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. That sounds good, doesn't it? Abundant agricultural goods, natural resources to build cities and create culture. It's a land where in the midst of incredible scarcity, here in this little oasis, you will lack nothing. 
That's good. In fact, it sounds a little bit like the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? Sounds a little bit like paradise. Now, that sounds like the end of the story. We might be tempted to think that. Israel, you went through some hard times. Now there's good times. The end. And if the chapter ended at verse 10, we'd be tempted to think that the prosperity gospel is true. That in the end, God's ultimate goal is just to make us healthy and wealthy, and that's the ending we should seek after in this life too. But there's a problem. It's not how the chapter ends. In fact, the chapter is just getting started. Because immediately after describing the good land and the blessings of the land, Moses says this, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. In other words, Israel, once you're in the land, once you're living the good life and things are going right and everything's easy, then be very, very careful not to forget God. So there could be trouble in paradise. Think about it. God took Israel through a period of testing in the wilderness. And now he is blessing them with the land. But what Moses is warning here is that the land itself is also a test. The blessing is a test, just as much as the burden was a test. In fact, the blessing will be a far greater test for Israel than the burden. And the test of the wilderness was actually preparation for the test of the land. The former was preparation for the latter. Blessing is a test, and that is a theme that runs throughout Scripture that prosperity is perilous. Wealth presents grave spiritual dangers, which is why Augur in Proverbs 30 prays, God, please don't make me so prosperous that I deny you. Now, I don't think many Americans pray like that. I don't often pray like that because I just assume more wealth, more blessing. Prosperity seems great. So why is Moses so concerned about prosperity? Why is it so dangerous? How do we avoid those dangers? Those are the questions we need to think about this morning. What do we need to remember in times of ease? Now, before we learn to remember God in times of ease, let's just remember our context for a minute. Who are we hearing this text in the 21st century? It's very important to think about this. Uh, America has the highest GDP in the world. Per capita, we're one of the richest countries in the world. What's the richest state in America? California. What's the, what's the richest region in the state? The Bay Area. Alameda County, the ninth wealthiest county in America. Now, here's the problem. I can hear all of that and think, yeah, but I'm not rich. Yeah, but I live in San Leandro. I'm not in Blackhawk. <laughs> this isn't Atherton or Hillsboro for crying out. Those are the rich guys. And that's one of the problems with living here and being surrounded by just staggering prosperity is that it skews what? My basis of comparison, Right? It skews it because I don't compare myself to people living in Bible times. I don't compare myself to people living in the developing world. I compare myself to that guy in Blackhawk or Bayo Vista, as the case may be, 
because there's always that guy who has more than me and they're the wealthy person and I become blind to the dangers of prosperity. For, for most of us, and certainly for me, uh, I am one of the most materially prosperous people ever to walk the face of the earth by any standard of measure. Which means I have the means to make my life so easy compared to everyone else in the world. So unbelievably easy. Now, it's not true for all of us, but for many of us, I would venture to say, the question to ask is not, how can I remember God when I become prosperous? The question for most of us this morning is, how can I guard against forgetting God now that I am so prosperous? So what do we need to remember? When times are easy, three things. First, fullness can breed forgetfulness. Second, independence is an illusion. Third, success must never be assumed. Let's look more closely at these dangers and how to guard ourselves against the perils of prosperity. First, this. Why is prosperity dangerous? Here's why. Because when life is easy, we get filled. And the Bible draws a correlation between being filled and being forgetful. Wealth can nudge you towards forgetting God. Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. To, to seek after God, you gotta be hungry. You have to. You, to, to. To find your satisfaction in God, you need a healthy dissatisfaction with everything else in life. That only you can satisfy my deepest needs. And here's the problem. When you are full of ease and prosperity, you feel full. And it's very tempting to forget God. Look at, look at Moses' warning. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, there's some compound interest going on, isn't there? This is amazing. Then, Rather than giving thanks, what happens? Your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Moses looks ahead to Israel's future and things are going great. And notice things are going great because the people are obeying. They're walking with God and they're experiencing the blessings of the covenant on the nation and what God promised to do which is give them abundance, give them food, give them wealth, give them resources, give them national security. And when that happens, they become what? Lifted up. You know what lifted up means? Self-satisfied, impressed with your success, smug, right? And when you give into that attitude, what's the next question you ask? Why, why again do we need God? Why are we dependent on God? See, see, why would material prosperity cause you to do that? Here's why. Because wealth is probably the most powerful substitute for God. Probably the most powerful. I was reading Proverbs 18 a few weeks ago. Look at the contrast that Proverbs 18 draws. Verse 10 and verse 11. Look at verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. What do the righteous do? They see their complete insecurity in the world, 
their desperate dependence. So who do they run to? The Lord. They fall on the name of the Lord, the character of the Lord. They run to him and he is their what? Refuge. That's verse 10. What does verse 11 say? A rich man's wealth, by implication, a wicked rich man's wealth is what? His strong city. What's that? A refuge. And like a high wall where? In his imagination. Do you see the contrast? Running to God for refuge, running to wealth. And in that rich person's mind, in their imagination, in how they envision their life, their wealth is like a fortress that they live within. See, the problem with prosperity, the allure of prosperity is this. Money seems to offer us all of the things God offers us. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. What does money say? I'm the one thing you need to be okay in life. God says, I will supply all of your needs in Christ Jesus. Money says, you can never have enough of me. I meet your needs. God says, hope in me. Money says, if you want a secure future, you know what you need. God plus me. Wealth seems to offer what God offers. And if you're not careful in your heart, you make a little substitution between God and what? Money. And this is why the scriptures continually make a very important distinction between wealth as a result and wealth as a goal. Wealth as a result means this. You will work hard and God and his good providence might bless you with wealth. That's a result. At the same time, the Bible says you should never, ever make wealth or accumulation of wealth the goal of your life. Wealth may come as a byproduct. It can never be your pursuit. Because ultimately, it will lead you to pursue wealth and not who? God. That's why in Deuteronomy 17, Moses goes on to say, when you appoint a king over you, you can do it. It's okay. Just make sure whoever that king is, that they don't acquire many horses. (laughs) They don't acquire many wives. They don't acquire much silver and gold. Why? Because it will turn the king's heart from me. It will turn the nation away. Because what? You look to wealth for only what God can provide. Money might be a result. It's never a goal. And if you look at Moses' warning here, right, it's exactly what happens. This is Israel's history. Fast forward a few hundred years. What does Hosea say? I am the Lord, your God from the land of Egypt. You knew no God, but me. And besides me, there is no savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full. They were filled and their heart was lifted up. Therefore, what? They forgot me. There's Israel's history in a nutshell. We need God. We cry out to God. God blesses us. We're filled. We forget God. Israel does not turn from God in the hard times. When do they turn from God? When things are okay. And that cycle is on repeat. Man, things get bad. God deliver us. He goes, okay. They go, man, things are good. We don't need God. Oh no, things are bad again. God deliver us. He goes, okay, deliver. Oh man, things are good. We don't need God. And you get the idea, right? That's Israel's history on repeat. That cycle plays out in Israel's history. By the way, that cycle plays out in church history as well. Andrew Walls is a missiologist, studies the history of mission. 
And he makes this very interesting observation. Christianity always flourishes on the margins. Poor, disenfranchised people come to faith in Jesus. And, and, and it explodes on the periphery of society. Here's the problem. Eventually, the periphery of the society gets wealthy and they get prosperous. And as they grow in affluence, they tend to forget about God. This is what happens in societies. And the leading edge of God's mission moves elsewhere towards the poor and disenfranchised until the growth in influence comes and then they forget about God and then the center of Christianity shifts again. And right now you're seeing the, the, the center of Christianity, whatever that is, shift away from the West toward the South and the East. And that's where the gospel is just exploding right now. So you see it as a trend in church history that the wealthier a nation gets, the less they tend to focus on dependence in God. It's a generational trend as well. You, you look at generations in America and you see this declining interest as you get younger. There's a declining interest in God, religious practice, spirituality, but there's also a declining interest in like civic engagement or serving your city or community. There's a declining interest in family and starting a family. But do you know what increases as you get younger generations? Making money. That interest just keeps going up and up and up. And so you see this same dynamic playing out again. Now, need to remind you, or need to clarify here, it is not that wealth is inherently evil, it's inherently dangerous. And there's a difference. And there's a reason that James said, God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and not God has chosen the rich to be rich in faith. Okay? And, and for me, living where I do, that's something that I need to remember all the time. So, first danger, fullness can breed forgetfulness. Prosperity can nudge me towards forgetting God. Here's the second danger. It can nudge me toward the illusion of independence. Wealth gives me power. And power gives me the illusion that I am in control of the universe so that rather than depending on God, I just think, I made this, I own this, I'm in control. Look at verse 17. Here's the temptation. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power... And the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. That's like the most American verse in the Bible, isn't it? Israel looks at their wealth and says, we are a self-made nation. Israel tempted to believe that, wow, it was our hard work, our ingenuity. It was just Israelite exceptionalism that created this thriving culture. Look how prosperous we are. And then once you're prosperous and have power, you can start to believe that we created this. And because we created it, we own it. And it's ours. Prosperity gives you the illusion of power. Andy Crouch says, money is liquid power. Because money allows you to not be dependent on people. It allows you to not feel your incompetence. I was thinking about this this week, how powerless I would feel in life if I didn't have money, right? I'd replace the coils on my engine. Like, uh, I don't know, I can't pay anyone to do that. You just got to figure it out, right? Well, there went my week. I would feel totally helpless, right? Can't just pay, I can't buy my one-click Amazon Prime to get my groceries, Right? Gonna have to go forage my food to figure this out, right? 
uh, don't have transportation, have a need, got to rely on someone else. Money can insulate you from people. It can insulate you from skills and abilities. It just gives you the sense that I am in control. And the more prosperous you are, the more tempted you are to just curate your life and choose you and be totally independent from other people from other needs, and to just think, I am in control. And the temptation is this, I am the originator of this, God didn't give it to me, and because I'm the originator, I'm the owner. That's very tempting in America to think that way, right? I made it, I own it. Now, we'll see in a few weeks in Deuteronomy that the Bible has a different starting point. Now, private property is not necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a biblical thing. But when you absolutize that principle of private property, you get the idea that I created my wealth, I own my wealth, and I get to do what? Whatever I want to do with my wealth. It's a very American idea, isn't it? The Bible has a different starting point. And the Bible starting point is not this. It's not that the nation owns your wealth. It's not that the community owns your wealth. It's not even that you own your wealth. It's that God owns your wealth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24, 1. Christopher Wright says that's the first principle of biblical economics, that God owns everything. And God gives you the ability to make wealth. And so it's God's, and that changes your views of what you owe other people and generosity. Don't have time for that today. That's later. But that's the illusion. We are independent. And what does Israel forget how radically dependent they are on God? Moses gives this play-by-play. Remember who you are, Israel? Remember what God took you out of? He brought you out of the land of Egypt in the house of slavery. He delivered you. Did you do that? No. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground? Did, Did you protect yourself? No, that was God. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock? who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might what? Humble you and test you to do you good in the end. What was the purpose of the wilderness to show Israel that they were radically dependent on God for their physical survival? That they could not exist apart from him. And what Moses is pleading here is don't forget the lesson of the wilderness. The reason God made you pick up manna every day and depend on him every day was to teach what? Dependence. You don't create wealth. You don't sustain yourself. It's all from the mouth of God. And you can't forget that lesson once you're in the land. That's why verse 18 says this, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Israel, stop being so impressed with yourselves. You didn't save yourselves. You didn't lead yourselves. You didn't give yourselves this land. I gave it to you. And in fact, even your power to be prosperous comes from who? Me. So God's the originator of wealth. God's the owner of our wealth, which means we're radically dependent on him. That's so important because at some point, if you become prosperous relative to other people, you start to believe that you're special that it's just my hard work, that I outworked everyone, or or that I outthought everyone, or I outsmarted everyone, and it just comes down to me, and if people were more like me, they'd be prosperous, and so, way to go. I've thought like that, and then I think just how many variables in life I am not in control over. 
I didn't choose to have good genes so I could be healthy. I didn't choose my intelligence. I didn't choose the time I would be born. Talk about privilege, right? Time privilege? Getting to live now? I didn't choose to be in a wonderful family that was well-networked. I didn't choose to, to have a wife. I mean, I did choose my wife, but God made her to make a lot of money that I am the beneficiary of so that I could just go get educated while she made a lot of money, right? I, uh, that's out of my control. I, I didn't choose the housing market when we were looking for a house. There's so many things that are completely out of my control. God was the one who orchestrated all that. And God can give it, and God could take it away like that. And, and, and my hard work wouldn't make a lick of difference to any of that. Now, the Bible commends hard work. You can't get that without reading Proverbs. Yes, work hard, so reap, absolutely. But never think that you are the originator. Never think you are the owner. But, but that's what wealth does, doesn't it? It just nudges you. It just nudges you to think, I'm in control. It nudges you toward that, and it nudges you to make this assumption that my success is guaranteed because I'm so competent and I'm so smart. Moses ends by saying, don't assume that. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely, what? Perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Israel, I gave it. Israel, I can take it like that. And, and see, here's the presumption Israel could have fallen prey to. You know what? God picked us. You know what that means? We're special. He picked us because we've got it together. We're the smartest. We're the most competent. God says in Deuteronomy 7, he goes, I didn't pick you because you were the smartest or the most confident. <laughs> in fact, you were the smallest. You were the most insignificant. But, but that is the lie they could be tempted to believe, that success is automatic because we're God's favorite kids. So it doesn't matter what we do or if we respond to him. He's just gonna keep blessing us. Look how special we are. And God says, don't think because I'm judging these other nations that I won't judge you. Don't think because I blessed you that you're always gonna be blessed. In fact, if you deny me, if you walk away, you will suffer just what the nations suffer. You will be ruined. You will be exiled. All of that will happen. Don't presume. There are no you know, past returns do not guarantee future results. That's what he's saying. And that's exactly what happens to Israel. And they forfeit their prosperity because they make it their God and they turn from God. And that's what would happen to us. God is not mocked. If you're his kid and he loves you, guess what? If you don't trust him, if you deny him, if you control your own life and try to manage it, he'll discipline you too. And I don't know what that means for you financially, but it's not good. But he will discipline you to get your attention. Now, we hear all of this about the dangers of prosperity. And I think there's a temptation, and here's where I want to end. The temptation is this. Let's just flee from any kind of prosperity whatsoever because it's so dangerous. Let's just, right, just like sell all our possessions, live hand to mouth to avoid this danger. Now, I don't think many of you would do that. I'm not going to do that. But there's a problem with that kind of thinking. And the problem is, is this, that we miss God's greater purpose in this. 
See, God's goal for us is not poverty. God's goal for us is not prosperity. God's goal for us is maturity. How do you become mature? Through passing the test of poverty and passing the test of prosperity. God put Israel in the land. God blessed them with prosperity. What God wanted them to see is that this isn't just a blessing, it's a burden. It is a challenge. And if you pass the test, you will learn to become mature in me. Does that make sense? And so here's the problem. With just avoiding thinking about money, you're refusing to engage in the test God wants to take you through. To learn how to be content in, the, in Christ in the midst of prosperity and learn how to seek him first, even when there is wealth. And by the way, if you live in the Bay Area and you have a job, you're just gonna end up being prosperous than more pe- most people, right? It's just, it's gonna happen. So we have to learn this lesson. Think about how Paul says it in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know, for years I read that verse and you know what I thought it said? I've learned to be content when things are hard. And that's all I heard. When life's hard, I've learned to be content. But what is Paul saying? I've learned to be content in Christ when life is really hard and when life is easy. When I'm in need and when I'm in what? Abundance. Don't you love how he says that? When I face abundance, like it's a challenge. See, we have to see that money, it can't be our treasure. It's not just a temptation. It's a tool God uses to train us. Will we seek first the kingdom of God? And will we make our money serve God or will we serve money as our God? And we're all gonna have to go through that test. But if I embrace that it's a test, then I don't just love my prosperity or run from my prosperity. I learn to be a steward, a faithful steward of what God has for me. Does that make sense? So let me tell you practically how this works out and then a few things and then I've got like five more sermons, but I'm not gonna preach them today, but done. All right. Here's how this works out practically. So Kashel and I found out a few weeks ago that we're gonna get this windfall of cash. Okay, right, woo, great. And, and, and it was a lot, it was, I, I thought it was like this much that we were gonna get. And man, it was like this much, they were gonna get, okay? And my first thought was to go in my backyard and look. Start nodding my head, yep, we're gonna fix that, we're gonna do that, I'm gonna do that. And it's like the Spirit said, you didn't earn that money. Why do you think it's your money to do whatever you want with? And and, and it was like this check on my heart right in that moment that you're not the creator. Why do you think this is just a blessing for you to do whatever you want with? And I realized (laughs) this is a test. It's not just a blessing, it's a test. Will I use unexpected money, not just for me, but to accomplish God's purposes in the world? Now that's a problem now, isn't it? Because now you gotta think about what you're gonna do with your money. And so now Cashel and I have to sit down and go, oh man, who's in need around us? What are some, what, what else can we give to? Do we have long-term goals? Do we need to set this money aside for something? Now that's a, that's a problem, isn't it? 
That's a more complicated conversation. But, but that's what seeing money as a test will do and seeing all money as a test will do. It makes your life more complicated because it's not just that I can do whatever I want or I can never think about money. It's that, no, God has given me this and it's a test. This is only a test, right? But that's what it is. And so that's what you need to ask. Now, if prosperity nudges us towards walking away from God, what practices do we need to cultivate to resist that? Two really quickly from the passage, then we're done, okay? Two things. The first one is you have to learn to make a discipline of gratitude in your life all the time. That's the heart level. Did you see the distinction in verses 10 and 11? When you get in the land, you will eat, you will be filled, and you will what? Give thanks. The contrast of that is eating and being filled and what? Forgetting God. So, so a discipline for God's people is to give thanks in all circumstances. It sounds so trite, it is your spiritual lifeline. Because ultimately every good thing is from God. He gave you your wealth. He gave you the power to get wealth. You could be in an accident tomorrow. That could be gone, okay? It could all be gone like that. The blessings are from God. Make a habit throughout the day. Good thing happens. Thank you, Lord. Pray before meals. That's why this is where we got it, okay? It's in the Bible. Thank you, Lord. In your quiet time, I would really encourage you, don't, don't just dump out your petitions. That's great. But, but when you come to God, your posture should not be gimme, 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 right? That's great. You can get to the gimme part. But first, thank you. I recall this, I recall that, I recall that. To, to get your heart in the right posture because gratitude and forgetfulness are always contrasted in the Bible. Gratitude, that's number one. Number two is this. Why would God make Israel fast in the wilderness? What does fasting teach us? That ultimately God is gonna satisfy our needs. And so I would encourage you, you've got to think about how you enjoy material pleasures and what limiting principle you will put on even things that you're rightfully allowed to enjoy. That's why it's good to just miss a meal intentionally every once in a while. <laughs> to say, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Just to remind yourself, I don't actually need that. I'm going to put a limiter on that, right? Alcohol. Some of us shouldn't drink any alcohol. Some of us can enjoy that in a godly way. Put a limiting principle on it to say, no, this is how much I will enjoy and no more because I don't need as much of that as I could lawfully do. I can put a limiter on that. Technology. I'm gonna make it uncomfortable, okay? Uh, average American, 150 times a day. Right? If you had anything else in your pocket that you looked at 150, I'm just being serious for a second. Right? I, let's just, like, like if you had to carry around a sandwich, right? 150 times a day, like, man, that guy does an unhealthy attachment to sandwiches, right? <laughs> right? Or for you, you would say, if you had a cigarette, you need it all the time. Like, wow, yeah, yeah you're probably addicted to that, right? And, and yet we could just kind of do this mindlessly all day and think you're really, like, you seem to need that. And, and as Greg often says, what it does is it creates this shortcut to satisfaction all the time. Who's easily satisfied, easily satisfied. Instead of being like, ah, oh, I'm gonna sit here and be uncomfortable in my thoughts. Maybe I'll pray. Maybe I'll do, and so I don't know what that limiting principle, but, but you need something to say, I, I'm not gonna make my life all about easy satisfaction. Does that make sense? 
So those are two that are commended here. There's so much more we could, we could talk about. But, but really the challenge for us as American Christians, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, is to learn to live like Jesus, who though he was rich, became poor so that others could become rich. Think about Jesus. In heaven, was he rich? <laughs> Infinite praise, infinite honor, infinite resources, and yet he becomes a human being and disadvantages himself for our advantage. He chooses not to use his wealth to insulate himself from pain and need, but willingly passes the test and says, no, I am going to enter into a space of pain, into a space of dependence, into a space of hardship for the benefit of others so that they might live and that we might become Rich, not necessarily materially rich, but spiritually rich in Jesus. And that's what Jesus wants for all of his prosperous people is to learn to just do what he's already done. Say, God, you have given me so much and guess what? It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. And so I'm gonna use it for your purposes in the world, trusting that only you protect me, only you provide for me, only you satisfy me. All right, let's pray. So, so Jesus, we thank you that in the gospel, uh, we have a greater treasure than money. In fact, Jesus, you say the treasure we have in you is so great that it would cause a man to sell everything he had to get it. So Jesus, thank you that you will protect us. Thank you that you will provide for us. Thank you that you satisfy us with your unfailing love. And so money doesn't have to be our be all end all. Lord, it can just be a tool that we use. And so Jesus, uh, because of the incredible privilege you have given us of being your sons and daughters, uh, would we walk by faith and would we see money not just as a temptation, not as our treasure, but, but ultimately as a tool to be used for your kingdom? And Lord, would we pass the test like you did, Jesus? and choose to make hard choices trusting you with our money because we are convinced we have a better treasure in you. I ask it in your name, amen.